Hey, I am thrilled that uh, you are here this morning and um, made it, and we're just going to dig into God's Word here now, continue our worship and praise of Him and His work in real lives and real situations and in real people. I am now in about week four of an introduction (laughs) to a series, and... uh, That's known, that's the case. You may be yet kind of wondering a little bit, where's all this going to? We're getting there, we're getting there. Uh, But the last few Sundays have been about laying groundwork here. And uh, we, I would kind of sum it up this way. Uh, We've been called to check Christ out. We talked about a few weeks ago. The wonderful invitation of Christ just to come to to have those who are uh, interested, he invites them, come check me out. Listen, that's your call if you're at that place. If you're trying to understand whether this whole Christ thing, the Bible thing, the whole God thing is for real, that's what Christ calls you to check him out. Check him out. We saw that in John 1 and Mark 1. In Mark 1, actually, then we see Christ kind of say, follow, listen, stake it, stake it in the ground and follow me. Have you come to that place? Have you come to the place where you've received Christ as your Savior? And uh, he is not just a good guy, but he is the Messiah God in flesh. Follow me. Uh, We've talked about how also in that follow me, that that call to follow him is not just follow him to follow him. That call to follow him is to be transformed into something. And we, so much in American Christian culture, are stuck on the follow. And even in our presentation of the gospel, so often it's just left to just, just choose Jesus and then everything's great from there. And it's like, no, 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 the call is to follow him and be transformed into something. And that transformed uh, begins and must take shape in the what we talked about last week, that God loves multiplication. Listen, friends, Christianity can become so selfish and so self-centered. God has called his children to be individuals, to be men, women, to be teens, tweens, that are, are growing in their capacity to be fruitful for him, not only in how you just handle everyday activities of life for his glory, but literally fruitful in reproducing into the lives of others. And I understand we're all different, we're all unique in various capacities. And that's why, as I talked about briefly in Mark chapter 4, I think that's why Christ says 30, 60, 100 fold. He's not calling everyone to be a hundred fold person, but he is calling everyone to produce and to reproduce and to multiply. Today, here's the statement. Love is the thing. What's the thing? Uh, one more time. What's the thing? Okay, love is what? Okay, now you got to go like this. Love is the thing. Okay, love is what? Okay, excellent. It's the thing. Uh, I want for us to understand as we go today, love is What? Okay, for, for, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, just briefly here for a moment. 1 Timothy chapter 1, because you may be going, Doug, I, I, you're saying it like it's a capital T, capital H, capital E, the thing. Not a thing. You're saying it's the thing. I want to help us understand why I'm saying it's the thing. 
Here we go. First Timothy chapter one in your Bible. Uh, just a couple verses here. I'll pick up in verse three in chapter one. Uh, Paul writing to Timothy and he says, as I urged you, Timothy, when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. Here, Paul is saying, Timothy, listen, I left you there for a purpose. There's, there, there, there's something you're to be doing there. You're to be correcting some things, teaching some things, helping people grow in some areas. Uh, But look at verse five, the beginning of it. The aim of our charge is what? The aim, the goal, the thing that we're shooting at here, Timothy, even as you are teaching, even as you are instructing, as you are correcting, as you are helping people. Listen, Timothy, the aim, the center of the target here is love. Love is the thing. It means that as you're doing this, there should be an increasing capacity of people to be more and more loving people. Are you a more loving person this year than you were a year ago? Or are you kind of stuck? Listen, it's to be increasing. Every Sunday, what's the thing that's supposed to be coming out of of, of my teaching and and in my study for my own life, but also for you? Listen, the thing that's supposed to be happening here, the big aim is is we're to become more loving people. You're to become a more loving individual. As we serve in children's ministry, what's the goal with those kids? That they would become more lovers in life. Oh, and you, as you teach that you as you're training for what you're teaching them that you would be growing in love as well small groups what is one of the aims what is the aim out of small that you that we would be a more loving people listen the aim is what because love is what it's the thing let me just i want to make sure we're we're here turn to first corinthians chapter 13 I just want to make sure that that we're understanding it here because i'll say it this way love is the thing always always. And in fact, without love, I am nothing. Without love, you are nothing. Uh, take a look first Tim, or first Corinthians chapter 13 verses one through three. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, and oh, cool. And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith, so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, to be a martyr, but have not love, I am nothing. Let me ask you a question. Without love, what are we? Nothing. Nothing. So uh, the text here is telling us that, listen, you can be a person of great faith, but if you're a person of great faith, but you have no love, (laughs) how annoying is that? (laughs) But that's what it's saying. Hey, if you give away everything you have, and it's like you give it all away and you do it with a good heart and yet you have no love. This is what you sound like to God. 
How irritating is that? Isn't it? (laughs) Hey, I want to tell you, friends, love is the thing. Love is the thing. Let's take this and go to Mark chapter 12. Let me pray. God, I pray as we open the scriptures here to Mark chapter 12 and just kind of take some time here before we celebrate communion together. Oh God, I pray we would see you bigger. I pray we would understand you more. I pray we would love better. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn to Mark chapter 12. This is actually a passage that we've taken a look at in uh, our long introduction (laughs) into where we're going. And we're really now setting the base for where we're going. Hey, friends, love God. Love God. Let's pick up verse 28, Mark chapter 12, and then we'll go back and catch some context. Uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, uh, Jesus answered them well. Uh, this scribe, well, let's kind of call him a lawyer. This lawyer asked Jesus, oh, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. I'm sure that helped Christ's self-esteem right there. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength. To love one's neighbor as himself, as oneself is uh, much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. But what a great response. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, interesting statement, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, No one dared to ask him any more questions. I love that. Let me pick up some context here for us. The context is this, is Jesus is in the last week of his earthly ministry. Um, and we look at the beginning of Mark chapter 12, and if you have kind of highlights at the, in your Bible every so often, you can see there's a parable that's given. Uh, Jesus gives parables. Oftentimes he uses parables when people are attacking him. He uses them to teach. Part of the reason he uses them is so that the people who really aren't interested won't get it. Jeremy? Part of the reason he uses parables is so that the people who genuinely really aren't that interested, they won't get it. But those who are interested, their ears will be perked and pricked and opened up. So he uh, uh, responds to the Pharisees and the scribes and the elders, and he tells a story of a man who's planting a vineyard in the beginning of chapter 12. And 
the man who plants the vineyard then goes away and he leaves some people in charge and he sends servants for an account of how things are going. He sends one of his servants and, and the people who are kind of taking care of what he had, he had made, what he had put into place, uh, they killed the servant. So he finds out, he sends another servant and they kill the next servant. And then he, they send a third servant and he kills the third servant. Then he decides, I want to send my own son. Sends his own son, and uh, in the parable it says they kill his own son. Boy, this sounds like an interesting uh, parallel to what's going on, what's about to happen. And they kill him. That's the parable, verse 13. Then the Pharisees and the Herodians are trying to trip Christ up. They're trying to trap him. And then verse 18, the Sadducees uh, question with one of like the most ridiculous questions ever. Have you ever noticed sometimes, I don't know, maybe this is you, that, 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 that people who are, are, are kind of wondering about stuff, they ask like these most silly, just stupid questions. This is a question where he basically says, okay, there's a guy and he's married and he dies and, and they, he dies and they don't have any children. And so in that day, if, if, uh, if the husband died and there was no children, then the, the wife would actually marry one of his brothers to be able to have children. And so then she marries, he has seven brothers and he marries a brother and then he dies and there's no children. So he marries the next brother and he dies and he has no children. He just keeps going on. I mean, this is like the black widow. I'm like, if I'm son number six, no, but here it is. They all die. They all die and there's still no children. And then they ask the question, so in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Thank you. <laughs> Who cares? But I want to tell you, this is really important because this is the context of what was taking place. These are the kind of ridiculous, silly questioning that was taking place at the time. That leads us into verse 28. Because all this silly questioning is going on and these scenarios are being set. And then verse 28, all of a sudden a scribe or a lawyer decides to finally ask a good question. And he asks a good question here. Uh, the question is, is, what is the greatest commandment? What's most important? Uh, let me set a little bit of context with that. Uh, at the time, the Jews had formed 613 commandments. Please understand, I don't say that, that these were all biblical commandments. They had made up 613 commandments. 248 of them were positive. 365 of them were negative. 613 commandments to live under every day. How impossible is that? And so what they would do, they knew it was impossible. So what they would do is they would actually argue and debate and talk about which one's the most important because who's going to be able to follow 613 every moment of every day? And so they debate about, well, I think this is the most important. And they kind of go from what's the heaviest to, uh, I'll kind of call, what's the leastest? The best kind of grammar you can do. Uh, point is, is that really uh, following God's word became a joke. Uh, maybe better stated this way. It became a game. Uh, James chapter 2 verse 10 says, uh, if you keep the whole law and break one, you're guilty of them all. 
Listen, the whole Bible had just become a game, just become a religious system to work under. This is like legalism at its best. Or maybe really legalism at its worst. Then Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. The Shema. Hey, here's a unique idea. We answer life's questions with the Bible. Have we ever thought about that? They hadn't. And in their whole discussion of it, Jesus in the whole process of it, what does he do? He goes right back to scripture. And he literally quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 5, the Shema. Now the Shema was something that the Jews every day proclaimed twice a day. How interesting is that? He answered their question with a passage of scripture that every Jew quoted twice a day. Uh, I don't know if you know much about it. I don't have time to go into it, but the Jews back then, as well as some do today, from uh, some of the some uh, Jews today, will put on their door frame a little box. In that box is rolled up the Shema. They did it in that day. In that day, they don't do as often today. You may see pictures. Some do. Uh, they would put a box, and they would put have a box on their forehead, wrapped around their forehead. Everywhere they would walk would have that. Why? Because the scripture in Deuteronomy says, bind it on your foreheads. And in that little box was the Shema. Jesus is responding with the answer to what's right on their head. Isn't that interesting? Boy, could we go there for a while with me and you? I know what's right to do. I know what scripture says. In fact, it's right there, but the reality is, am I doing it? Listen, all of this fits into the context of Christ's answer here. So they ask the question, what's the greatest? Uh, Two questions. Why is loving God? Verse 30, the greatest commandment. This is the one we're going to, verse 30 is what we're keying in on today. Verse 31 is what we're going to be keying in on for the next eight weeks. Tear that verse to live in shreds in a good way. Why is loving God the greatest commandment? Let me just ask that question. Three things. Uh, I'd just say kind of here quickly. One, he is the most worthy. He's the most worthy uh, in fact, we sang about this. This is so cool. I told to Karen as we were singing the one song, and it's like, who? It's like no one's like you. Now, there's a recurring thing in the Old Testament. Every so often, there's a question that's asked, and the response is, "No one who's like you. No one." In fact, let me just uh, uh, for you mention a couple of these passages. Uh, Exodus fifteen eleven. Exodus 15, 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Hey, who is like him? Okay, let's get a new running start. Let me go and you respond. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? No one. No one. Uh, another verse, Psalm 71, verse 19. Let me read to you. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the heavens. You who have done great things. O God, who is like you? Psalm 89, verse 8. 
O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord? No one. No one. Loving God is the greatest expression of love because there was no one like him. A love here. Love is, we so often in our culture think of it as this ooey-gooey movie Hollywood emotion thing. But the word that's being used here really is talking about a, a dedicated act of the mind. Love is an action, not so much a feeling. It's a choice. It's an act of the will. It's an intelligent choice. It's a thinking. Are you a thinking person? If you're a thinking person, I'm telling you, you are made to love. Because love is thinking. It's choosing to do what is right regardless of how I feel. What have you been loving this week? Maybe you could ask that. What have you been dedicating your choices to this week? Let me restate that. Who have you been dedicating your choices to this week? Who? Loving God is the greatest thing because he's the most worthy second, uh, because it gives the most benefit. (laughs) The God of the universe loves every person. Every person. That's you. Listen, we said love is the thing. We could really rightly say love is God's thing. In fact, 1 John 4.19 says, God loved first. God loved first. Uh, God's love is not based on your performance. Oh, but Doug, you can't say that. Because if you say that, then that means that people will just do whatever they want. Because it doesn't matter about my performance. No, 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 no. Listen, maybe so, but that is just wrong thinking. I want to tell you something. As you get to understand who God is more and more, it's like, how can I not love him? That's loving God. Karen said uh, this week that someone on Facebook just noted down that after reading, in fact, reading the small group book, after reading, they fell to their knees before God. Because the, the thinking drove them to understand that my word, you do bring the most benefit. You are the most worthy. I fall before you. Ah, he brings, he's the most worthy. It's the most benefit. But Doug, is it okay to say he benefits me? Isn't that selfish? C.S. Lewis, The Weight of Glory. He says, if we consider the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that God finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot even imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. 
John Piper in Passion, God's Passion for His Glory says, in other words, the pursuit of our soul's satisfaction is not sin. Sin is the exact opposite of pursuing your soul's satisfaction. Sin is pursuing happiness where no lasting happiness can be found. God created me, God created you to live in His love. And it benefits you. Nothing's wrong with acknowledging that. You were created to be and to do that. Most worthy, most benefit, third here. It's the most difficult. I just want to be transparent. Well, one of the reasons loving God is the greatest thing is because, frankly, it's one of the most difficult. Loving God in an unhindered biblical way, friends, isn't it true? It's not easy because I'm just bent the other way. And loving God is a choice. It's an act. It's every moment, every day. And we can even see this in this. Uh, Some of you know about this in your church background. Some of your churches are all about knowing God. Just know, no, no, no. Not like N-O, but many maybe have been that. We're talking Kano, Kano, Kano. Okay? And there's not been much delight. And there's not been much being stirred in. It's kind of like loving God is a punishment. It's a pain. It's a hassle. And yet there's no delight. Then some maybe you've grown up in churches where it's just all about just delighting in God and just this passion and delight and delight. And yet the intellect, the knowledge of him is so weak. It's like almost irrelevant. Listen, the power is in the balance. No and delight. I'll say this. Love is truth aflame. Love is truth aflame. Part of the reason sometimes I get maybe a bit over the top or I get a bit cranked up about things, is seriously, I'm just tired of things always being about, in some of my past, just being about, no, 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 cano, cano, cano. And it's like, my goodness, cano to delight. And yet I see people in my life past where it's like, there they are canoeing, and they're at church like it's a funeral. And then I'm in a football game, and they're delighting. And I'm just like, I'm having a really hard time here. Because are we really delighting like that in the right thing? I'm okay for having a blast. Cheer. Woohoo! Steelers, Green Bay. I frankly love them both. Sorry, Jim. Love them both. <laughs> Loving God is also one of the greatest things, commandments, because it's one of the hardest things to do in life. That's just being straight up about it. I just want to tell you, every Sunday, we really try to be a church that brings in and working towards the balance of truth and passion. And I appreciate you being a people that want to be in the scripture. We are a place where the Bible is a big deal. But we are also at a place where it's just, it's like, okay, to go like, yes. I've always kind of been surprised. Why is it sometimes that we raise hands when we sing, but we don't raise hands when God's word is being read? Okay, I'm getting off track. 
All right, here we go. How do I love God? <laughs> How do I love God? Um, Mark 30. Here's Christ's response. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Again, this is the Shema. They could quote it right while he was saying it. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So let's just take a few here and, and hit these. With all my heart, my heart. How do I love God? With my heart. Uh, the heart is a general summary term for the immaterial part of you. In other words, it's kind of your control center. It's, it's the core being of who you are. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the springs of life. It's, it, it's like the little guy, if you will. We talk about heart, but we think emotions, but heart here is talking about it, it's the control center. It's the little guy, me, looking out through my eyes, and I'm looking at life, and it's like, it, it's seeing where am I going, what am I doing, it's moving, and it's like, love God with that. That thing, love God with that. My heart, second, my soul. My soul is the closest thing to that which we would call our emotions. Uh, Listen, the text is not so much about compartmentalizing human nature or anthropology for you theologians. You know, I'm more of a dichotomist than a trichotomist. If that means nothing to you, that's okay. But this isn't so much about just going and saying, how is the anthropology of man made up? This is uh, keying in. This text is being uh, responded back to because it's about the comprehensiveness of the command to love God. Okay, and so here it's talking about the soul. Uh, the word here that's used, suke, uh, soul, Jesus Christ used it in Gethsemane. My soul is grieved to the point of death. You see, it's, it's this inner, there's an emotion component, but it's not emotions only. But it's my soul, it moves. Do you feel things like that at times? Where just, what moves you? Think in your head right now, is there a place, is there a thing where you just go like, oh man, oh man, oh man. Love God with that. That thing. That thing that just builds within you to where there's a passion. And it's just like, ah, love him with that in that kind of a way. Now, you may be going, Doug, right now, you know, the way you're talking about it. I'm not really that kind of a person where I'm like out there with the emotion deal. No, but listen to me. Psalm 103, 1 through 2, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all its benefits. This is so interesting because, in essence, the person is talking to his, quote, soul. He's bringing his soul, his emotions, in right alignment with God. This passion thing, this emotion thing, it's not just uncontrolled, out there. But this comes out of something. Uh, The psalmist is talking to himself. Uh, And so those of you right now who are emotion driven are like, yeah, preach it because people need to be more emotion driven. And those of you who right now are more analytical are like, oh, brother. Hey, love him with that. That's what I'm talking about out of with soul of you. Now we come to the third part, my mind. Uh, Here you go. For those who are kind of more the analytical. Uh, this is your champion, uh, my mind. It's an intellectual vigor, vigor. Here's the reality. If I don't know much, I don't delight that much. If I don't know much, I don't delight that much. We've talked in the past. Though, if we see sin little, we see God little. 
Because I only need a little God to cover a little sin. But if we see the total deep depravity that the scripture talks about, the ugliness, the magnificent sadness of the hugeness of sin and depravity, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3, we will not get Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 10. And you've got to see sin big so that God is big. That's why knowledge knowledge is so key. Our culture in the last probably 20 years has gotten very anti-intellectualism in Christian reality. It's kind of the, I don't need to think the great truths of God. I just need to be moved by him. Come on. That's not the case. We are living in a time where there's theological illiteracy. And here it's saying with my mind, Piper says, the loss of his truth is the loss of his beauty. I'll say it this way. Substance moves. Substance moves people. Truth aflame. How do I love God with my heart, with my soul, with my mind, forth my strength? Uh, here are the physical capacity. Have you ever felt like you just ain't got no more to give? Kind of strength-wise? I just may remind us that scriptures tell us that there's strength new every morning. Even if I wake up tired and sore. But here it's talking about this idea of a, of a new life vigor. A new life vigor for a time with God. A, 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 just a, a vigor uh, to, to serve God. A vigor to, to carry out the living reality of God. Uh, let me put in a question this way. What has been giving your best energy? What or maybe who has been getting your best energy? Listen, transparent time. Isn't it interesting how sometimes Sunday morning it's like, oh, man, I'd love to sleep in like people who don't care about God. I don't mean that to be harsh. I'm just, or when it gets to small group time, the end of the day, it's like, I'm wiped. Hey, I understand. But I want to challenge you and I to think a little bit differently about this. Because maybe this, maybe it's small group night day. Today's the day for small group. That means, am I literally going to think and practice and schedule myself so that when I go to small group, I'm all in? As opposed to, oh. oh. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about time with the Lord. Isn't it interesting? Just your own time with the Lord. It's like, here's the reality. If I have time, then I'll do those things. No, no, no. Strength. There's a first priority. There's a vigor here. And I want to call us kind of to the table, all of us at that. What are you giving your best to? God says, I want that. I want that. My heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. Doug, you've got a fifth one, and I see there's a period right after strength. Uh, you notice there's five words in there? One word repeated five times, my all. Listen, you cannot go through this and forget the all. 
It's not just, uh, I think the typical oftentimes is, I, 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 love, I love God with my mind. I, I love God with my soul. I love God with my strength. I, 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 I love God with my heart. No, no, no. This text is saying all of it. All of it. It's an abandon. It's a vigor. Maybe since the term is, how about this? I'm talking about radical in the reality of what it looks like. Please understand, God is not the only one that I love. But it's talking about when loving God, it's full out, and I'm going to be loving God all the time. So that means there's a first priority. It's all of me. All of me, all the time. It's just encompassing. It's, it's comprehensive. It's, it, it's full. It's, it's, it's the, I'm giving him my best. Not the last little tidbits when it's convenient and available and, and I'm in the mood. I'm redlining it for Christ. When it comes to Christ, redlined. Full throttle. Maxed out. As we kind of prepare for communion, I'll just say this. Love is the last piece. Love is the last piece. Every Christmas at our house, uh, we do puzzles. Let me me re-clarify that for my wife is irritated because the reality is, as Emily does about 1% of that, uh, dad, me does about, we'll say maybe 14% of that. The other 85% is done by Karen and Luke. They love puzzles and they're at it. And one year there was a puzzle of, they got a 3d of the statue of Liberty, right? Yeah. It was a 3d puzzle of the statue of Liberty. And, they opened the box, brand new, pulled it out, put it together. And it's like, this is really cool. That was like one of the first 3D puzzles we'd ever done. Got all the way to the end. One piece was missing. And they looked everywhere for that booger. And here's the reality. They looked at the whole thing. Irritated disappointed and that's not what that's supposed to be love is that last piece without love it's like a clanging symbol listen love is the thing and without it i'm nothing without it you're nothing Love is the thing. Well, God, I just pray as we prepare here for communion, what a perfect thing to be doing right now. We just talk about this passage out of the Shema. You quote the Shema back to the people who knew the Shema better than anyone. And yet, they weren't doing it. And yet they weren't really hearing it. And yet they weren't really living it. You know, God, I just so often look and I just go, man, how many times does that me? How many times is that us? God, I thank you that love is your thing because without it, I have no thing.
For God so loved the world that he gave. Oh God, I pray that we would be the kind of people growing. We are not there. We will not get there, but we need to be pursuing after the reality where our control center is just fired on track to you. We're our soul, that, that whole deepest, we can't even fully comprehend it. It's, it's emotion, it's, 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 it, it's, it's spiritual, it's just that whole thing. Oh God, may it be pointed to you. Lord, I pray our heads, our minds, our thinking would be on you. When life comes along, we would think you, we would think truth. We would put our minds in scripture. We would be people that are full of biblical truth, not self-truth, not world truth, but God truth. And I pray that we would put the physical strength, skin, muscle behind it. With all our strength. God, I thank you here so much for so many here who are pursuing just this. Yet we all have to grow. And Lord, I pray if there's someone or some individuals here this morning that right now are just like, man, I'm just not even in that realm right now. God, I pray right now they'd be spending time with you and getting right. Lord, I look forward to next week as you tie this love of you. It's not just left at that, but it's tied to loving others. It's absolutely mandatory, absolutely critical. Thank you that Christ set us an example of what that's all about.